Today I'm joined by travel connoisseur and the man behind the Smash Hit podcast blethered, Sean McDonald. I've known Sean for quite a while and enjoyed what he does on blethered and the stories that are told on it. So it was fantastic to get him on the podcast. Open, honest, downright brilliant. That's blethered and Sean. I'm blowing smoke here. In this episode, I had the chance to see the cogs turn when Sean spoke about his childhood. One which was spent between England and Rob Royston where he would spend his summers growing his love for Celtic and football. He would do what he could when he was down south to fit in with all of his mates. Well, almost anything. The one thing that he would never compromise or dream of compromising was his love for Celtic. And he speaks about that so passionately on this podcast. He reminisces as we speak about his heroes. That's anyone from Martin O'Neill's era at Celtic. And he challenges you on that. And he'll stick by it, by the way. We also speak about his special relationship that he's got with his grandpa, one that most of us will have with someone in our family, and how they came about going to Lisbon to revisit the site and the stadium where Billy McNeil, Caesar, lifted the European Cup in 67. We also spoke about how he found himself moving to Barcelona to find motivation and shake off a little bit of disillusionment after seeing his friends moving on to university. He embraces the city, he learns the language, and he has a home from home, ever so passionate about his home from home. Actually makes you want to go there. We of course talk about the football one show. You've got Barcelona and Espanyol, spoilt for choice in the same city, which is an adventure in itself. We get a chance to speak about his love for travelling, the cities that he's seen, what he's listening to the podcasts, what he's watching on TV. We recommend the film The Gentleman. It's a great film by Guy Ritchie. Hugh Grant's best performance yet. We'll challenge you on that one. We dare you. As you've been on this journey with us so far, please take some time and head over to Anchor, our new home, and subscribe to the 6, 8 or 10 podcast. We really would love it and we'd love you and appreciate you for doing so. Also, when you get a chance, you need to listen to Blethered. If you haven't already, go on iTunes, Spotify, click on it, listen to it. There's some great guests as Sean teases her stories out them from all walks of life, you really will enjoy it. Again, I'm blowing smoke. And if you're on Twitter and want a real proper dose of football nostalgia, check out After Extra Time shirt. You can smell the nostalgia from here. But in the meantime, stay safe. Take care. Bye now. <laughs> Very good, mate. Very good. Um, just getting on with it. I'll, I'll be honest, I actually had one of my first boozing sessions uh, in about 
three months on Saturday, so I'm still kind of feeling it a wee bit. <laughs> I'm, I'm regretting it big time. It was good fun time, but I'm just looking back and thinking, what was the point in that? Like, why did I put myself through that? I'm, I'm on a, a two-year cap just now. I think, mate, I'm, every time I go to say it myself, I always get six in the fridge, and I think, how do they six? And then mm. I touch two, mate, and that's me. Like, wait. When I just I don't know why. I just thought, nah, I'm not going to drink, and I didn't for the entire time and then just went a bit wild so I think it was for, for one extreme to another and I'm just I still feeling the effects so but then that, I think that's enough to put me off it for about another three four months no matter what happens so probably some good document as well Aye uh, uh, i done that mate to be honest with you i done it when uh, my missus was pregnant we found out in Ibiza of all places um, so oh. about three days into the holiday and I was saying to her just winding her up before we got there saying I think you're pregnant she's no sleeping on her and she says, nah, nah, nah. We never planned it. So we were sitting watching Scotland, England. And Scotland were getting gubbed. The women's team in the, the Euros. And uh, oh, right. he's like, I'm, go- I'm going to go and get a, a test. And I'm like, what kind of test? And she's like, a pregnancy test. So we went into the wee pharmacy and the wee women's like, oh. So we got the local Spanish one. <laughs> she took it in the morning. She's like, I don't know what that says. And I'm like, pregnant. And she's like, no, no, oh. no. So we went back and get the, the clear blue and it came up in pregnancy. She's like, what does that mean? I went pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> so that was us, mate. Three days into the holiday, we found out, man. Of all the places. I know, man. I said to her, I said, I'll no drink for as long as until the wind's born. And I, I done it, mate. And then I had a blowout. <sighs> Suffered for about a week. Aye. A week. That, 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 I think, I, I, I don't, thankfully, I'm not going to be a week, but <laughs> two, th- two, two, three days has been plenty. It's uh it's definitely made me reflect. I'll not be making that same decision again. Nah, it's a tough one, mate. How's lockdown been anyway? Um, we're all bearing yeah. the lockdown haircuts and that. Now I'm starting to get back to Alfie the hangover with the beard and the hair here. So. <laughs> well, as you can see, I don't know, this will be audio, I suppose, but you can see me on camera. I look like I'm wearing a crash helmet. That's I, what it looks like. When mine grows in, mate, I've got a bit of Lego hair, to be honest with you. Aye, it goes out <laughs> the way. Lockdown, uh, I suppose I've been up and down overall. Bizarrely, as it's probably going to start lifting, hopefully over the next week. We are recording this. What's the date of the day? The 8th, the 9th? 9th of June. So we are expecting nine days for now to go into phase two and see things going back to normal. And that's happening just as I've got used to it because I'm completely, what would you say, acclimatized to it. I'm very accustomed to it now. It's just it seems very normal. So there's probably going to be a few issues with some people having to then adjust to going back to normal life. Um, I ups and downs. I think I had a couple of wee dips where I was just absolutely gutted, scunnered with we losing time, we 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 losing things that were happening, even stuff like holidays, travel, work. Um but overall, I suppose I just 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 getting on with it, not really having much of a choice. Um I think just accepting at times that I sometimes you'll feel great and optimistic and you'll be like, right, this is fine and then Maybe the next day you can just have this dip. I just feel absolutely gutted and and dejected. But I suppose we're all going through the going through the same things here. Ah, it's a roller coaster emotions, mate. I think it's, it's for me at the start. It was it was family time just because of the football. You're always busy mm. and working stuff like that. And then when it got to the probably when I get followed, I get followed for working, and I had about four weeks on follow, and it was even more time with my family, my wee girl, and, and my partner, and it was like, mm. this is great. And then I'll never, for, I say this to my boss anyway, but he, he texts me saying, uh, you get time for a call this afternoon, I want to speak to you about something. 
And I thought, he's going to tell me I'm furloughed for longer or I'm going back to work. And he's like, do you want the bad news? And I'm thinking, if he's telling me I'm furloughed, it's no bad news. Mm. And then he says to me, oh, we want you to come back in. And I'm like, oh, no, that's the worst news you could have gave me, man. <laughs> and he's like, what? <laughs> that's the worst news you could have told me, man. I says, I was acclimatised to, to life. I'd been mm. up to two in the morning watching box sets and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean, mate? Stuff I don't normally get to do in life. So. I like, there's no consequences of that. That's what, like, I've thought of that. I've been going, well, another episode or two episodes, <laughs> there is no consequence. Like, there's, there's nothing with that. I suppose, though, I've thought about it a wee bit, and I feel like, obviously, individually, we're all at different stages, and we're probably on different... Um, I don't know, different parts. I don't know. I don't know how to word this, but I'd say that collectively we've we've just we're a mile out. Priorities have been all wrong. The things that we've been valuing have been all wrong. Thinking that we're here to accumulate material things and wealth and money, and that's the barometer of our success in the world. And I feel like because we've been forced to just stop and take stock and recalibrate, you know, it's complete stillness. Um, because it's been enforced stillness because you can't do anything other than reflect and you're saying spending time with family and, and enjoying these things that you don't often get enjoying it just makes you think right when the world gets back up and running will we be better off there probably will be some people maybe it won't be very enlightened and they will just go back to to normal but i think overall there's going to be a there seems to be a big shift in consciousness and you've got to hope that that's for the better as i say and individually for each person and and for collectively as well, because um, why we were a fucking mile off, I think. Massively, honestly, it's not until something like this has actually came, and you're thinking, this could actually do us all right here. This could clean up a few things. This could help us. Mm, um, at the time, we were only thinking that. We think, when are we getting back to the football? When are we going to see the next game? When are we going to see our mates? When are we going to be in the pub? When are we having a th- and as it goes on, you're right. It's, it's, let's sit down I'm the world's worst person for being a self-critic but in terms of self-evaluating things I don't do it very often so the first few weeks was a big self-evaluation period for me mm. and it was like slow down slow down man because last year I nearly took a stroke at the football just because I was so busy hectic lifestyle mm. and I was just like slow down man this is your chance just try and recuperate things you know what I mean and you're right you're spot on mate and I've had three haircuts since lockdown, believe it or not, mate. That's how I look like a wee furby. <laughs> <laughs> I've had three number ones, mate, and it just keeps coming back stronger every time. It's not even... That's not a bad problem to have, though. There's a lot of people that, are, that would kill to have that problem. Oh, I know, mate, I know. And it's, it's one of them things. But let's jump back into your childhood, mate. What was your first football and memory? First football and memory? Uh, I've got... I think I've got a couple, right? So one was being in my pal's house and his dad saying Scotland were playing Czechoslovakia. And that must have been, I don't even know when that would have been. That would have been a qualifier for something. Might have been the USA, 94, 92. 92 maybe. How old are you? So I'm 29. So in 92, I would have been one coming up for two. Maybe it wasn't 92. Maybe I'm thinking 92 for, I don't know. 92 sticks in my head for a long time, so... Mm. Uh, I suppose that would probably be one of the first. In terms of clear, clear football memories, uh, I lived in England from 1996 until 1999. So the, the World Cup mm-hmm. took place in France. 98 took place when I lived in basically just in the outskirts of London. Mm-hmm. And I was actually talking about this to my pal the other day. 
and I was saying how scunnered I was that everybody will talk about, oh, my only memory of the World Cup is France 98, if you're around about my age. Well, my only memory of Scotland at the World Cup is being in England, so it was all focused on England. It was all England flags. But I watched Scotland-Brazil, and mm. it's a very vague, vague memory. But I suppose that would be my first memory of a game being on. Uh, and then I suppose when, it been fra- when, we beat Ra- when Celtic beat Rangers 5-1, Mm-hmm. And, and would have been November 98. Again, I was in England for that, but I remember it being on the news and I saw some clips of the goals and that really sticks in my brain because I also remember thinking, oh, Celtic must just beat Rangers 5-1 all the time. <laughs> like That was just in my mind. I thought it must just be normal. Uh, I saw th- th- those would be my two earliest. And I suppose, actually, again, I'm just rambling on here, but they're all coming back to me at once. Was I watched um, Man United playing Bayern Munich in the... Champions League final in Barcelona in May 99 and again not really having any clue about football because I was eight and I, I, it just wasn't a big thing for me at that point I remember realizing like wow this is this is huge because the commentators are talking as if Bayern have won it and then obviously Man United get the two goals in the last couple of minutes to go in and win it and uh, I think that was what really kicked off I love a football uh, and, a, and an affection for Man United as well actually that I kept for a long time Aye, that's the, the, you're speaking about that game there. My mum worked in a passport office, but she's a mad Man United fan, like big time. Beckham the lot, that was her That was her thing. Mm. And uh, I can remember sitting watching it with my mate. We had um, in the room and my dad was lying on it. It was my bed and then my wee brother's bed, so we're lying in the room watching it. And my old boy was just watching the game as, as that generation did. Me and my pal are talking, he's a Man U fan with a kit on and and when it kicked off, my first memory wasn't it hinking my wee mate sitting next to him. It was, my mum's got to be buzzing when she comes home for work tonight. She's mm-hmm. going to be buzzing. And she didn't know the score. She didn't know the score. So I was sitting waiting on her and I was like, you'll never believe this. We recorded it and I've written for you. And it was just, it was a buzz. But you're, you're saying that's your first memories there. You're, you're a mad Celtic fan. So Aye. 5-1 was probably the norm for the last few years, to be brutally honest with you. You were right when you were younger. <laughs> Aye, I know. But it's, I know. Uh, what's your... Your memories of Celtic. You're saying you were down south for quite quite a bit. What was your your memories apart for that five one game? Uh, so this is a funny thing that I've spoken about before. So when I was down south, uh, I compromised every aspect of my identity in mm. order to fit in, and so I didn't get a hard time. So I didn't stick it like a sore thumb. So I'd speak with an English accent, and this is embarrassing, right? But as a six year old, <laughs> I was six, seven, and eight mm. for the years I was there. Spoke with an English accent. I would be adamant to anybody, no, no, I'm English as well. So again, didn't want to stick out too much. Mm-hmm. But then when it came to what team do you support? All oh, my pals supported like West Ham, Spurs, Man United, Arsenal. And uh, I just refused to compromise on that. It was always, no, I'm a, I'm a Celtic fan. So then I would kind of tie myself up knots because mm-hmm. older kids would be like, well, how, how are you a Celtic supporter? Because yeah. like, oh, I've, got, I've got family that are Scottish and they're like, so are you Scottish? And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> Like, twisted myself in knots mm-hmm. but I just refused I refused to compromise on that so I would get sent my I'd get my Celtic strips every year for Christmas and or for my birthday uh, and whatever and I would it was difficult to watch games so my, my knowledge was limited because mm-hmm. you would get Scott sport or sports scene up in Scotland but you wouldn't get it in England we didn't really have Sky um, I it, so it was quite a it was quite a tough one I'd come up in the summer I'd spend my whole summer holidays up in up in Glasgow, just in Rob Royston with my family, like stay with my gran or my auntie or whatever. And that was when I would start to try and learn. So I remember being up and uh, watching 
being in bed and watching Celtic playing Hibs away at Easter Road. And it's the game where Henrik's passed the ball to Chick Charnley. Aye. And uh, I'll never forget, I watched it with my, uncle, with my uncle and he went, fuck's sake, this is just another Reggie Blinker, this guy. <laughs> That's always stuck my mind because I remember saying, who's Reggie Blinker? I just, I knew, I knew nothing. Uh, I suppose, what else? I remember seeing, seeing Celtic lose the Scottish Cup final 1-0 to Rangers. That must have been maybe 99. I feel like I feel like Rod Wallace might have scored the Rangers. first season, wasn't it? Aye, um, and I remember being a wee bit like, right, hold on a minute, this isn't what I signed up for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a couple of shaky years, and then Martin O'Neill comes in 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 May two thousand, and from then on, so I would have been nine, and that was when I, I suppose I was really switched on in John when John Barnes came because I was living back up the road, and it was it was my main interest. Um, but I, as a Celtic supporter for the last twenty odd years, it's it's been an overall a very good experience. I I had a, a great experience younger being a Rangers supporter, and then went to Peterhead or Helen back, as I like to say it, when we went down to the the lower divisions. But I think for me, it was a nice experience to go and experience all the wee grounds and all the mm-hmm. the different elements of football. And then I think, like most Rangers fans, on the way back up, they're like, right. Get in the first division, we're back up, and then it's easy running for there. But it's it's no been <laughs> man, but it's been it's a hell of a story to tell. You know, it's it's a bit mad. But I grew up um, with my family, majority of Celtic supporters, and we used to sit and watch the games. And no matter who was on, it was always if we were in my granny's, we would sit and we'd watch the game. And I can remember watching the same game you're talking about there. Uh, Celtic had the Bumblebee strip on and Larson played it back. And it was the same reaction from it. Oh, for fuck's sake, what's going on here? Uh-huh. And I just kind of sat there thinking, shut up and don't say a thing. Don't say a thing. Uh-huh. Just sit there. So I just sat and I looked about and I, could, I was looking at my grand and I could tell he was thinking as well, who's this fucking dumpling? Like, what? Who is this guy? And then when you seen the career, that Larson's one that, that no matter who you support, you can't, you can't begrudge it. He was just a top, top player, man. So... I'm guessing we're, we're jumping into your heroes and idols here. Who did you look up to? Um, who were the ones you looked to when you were younger? So there's the obvious ones like Henrik Larsson, um, who everybody would say, but I suppose for me, I could pro. if you were to choose it for me, if you were to choose who my hero would have been back then, you could take anybody for the year 2000 up to 2003, 2004. Uh, and I mean anybody, you could give me Didi Agat, Tom Boyd, but I mean... I just loved the entire team and everything about them there. They'll always be my heroes. And no matter, you know, Celtic could go on and win the Champions League. And I will still argue, uh, yeah, but you'll never be as good as Martin O'Neill's team. Aye. Uh, you'll never be, you'll never be as, uh, you never mean as much to me as as those players did. But I suppose if I was forced to pick, I'd say Paul Lambert, Celtic captain. He yeah. just he embodied everything that Celtic was for me. I absolutely loved him. Central midfielder, obviously. I love Sterling Petrov, especially when uh, when he, he he was a club captain and he was a top man for his period before he went to Aston Villa. Uh, I, I even love players like Aidan McGeady, uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, I suppose, going up a, a wee bit. I'm spoiled for choice. Um, I would probably struggle. It's probably like asking me who my favourite family member is. Aye. Like, I, lo- I, love, I love them all equally. Aye. It's a, that is an interesting time, though, as you're saying, because that's when... We speak a lot about it and working stuff. And one of the boys, he's he's young. He's what was he saying? His first memories were two thousand and five, six, maybe. Um, and I'm like, nah. The, the years of uh, O'Neill's Celtic are 
advocating McLeish's Rangers. They were the they were the top for me. No, before going back to Burns and stuff like that, but they were the they were the crucial points where you just didn't know what was going to happen. It could go anyway each year, man. You were like, what the hell? Mm, those were the days when it did depend on who won those four ties. The majority of those four ties would go on to win the league because they weren't going to drop points. It was the it was the most unheard of thing. I remember, um, I think it must have been under Dick Advocate when Rangers started slipping. And you lost, I think you lost 3-0 at home to Kilmarnock. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, you could hit me off the floor because I just was thinking, this just doesn't happen. They, do, they don't drop points. And I think that was a that was obviously a big turning point. Um because it would be, you would say, well, whoever wins the most of the four games will go on to win the league. The Cups could go either way, I suppose. Um, aye, they, they were the, the glory days. I've seen a few people, younger, I suppose, I, I sound like an old guy saying this, but younger generation talking on, talking on like Twitter and stuff and saying, who would be better? Would it be the current Celtic team or the Celtic team at 2001, 2002? And it's like, fuck off. Yeah. There's not even the slightest contest. It, it, it's... The, the current team, no harm to them, no disrespect for them to them, but they they've not got a patch on the on the squads here about twenty years ago. Nah, they're not touching them. But but definitely know the Rangers one anyway, to be honest with you, but the Celtic one as well, I would agree with you in that. You always mm-hmm. see them debates flying about, don't you? Brown or Ferguson or all of that stuff, and you're just like, Come on, man, come on. Let's go back to as you say, Paul Lambert, what a player he was. Champions League winner. A player he was, man. And then you're talking about Petrov. I'll never forget seeing him one day in Buchanan Galleries and saying to my old boy, I Stan Petrov. My dad's like, he's walking a bit funny. He might be injured. So I'm up straight away. Stan, you injured? And he's like, who the hell are you? Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then I done the exact, we walked around the corner and Michael Moles had just, uh, I think he'd just signed for Rangers because Petrov was just come back for a leg break and Moles was uh, walking about eating a tub of ice cream. Can I get an autograph and all that? And he's like, aye, aye, aye. And I went up the road and I'm like, I've just met Stan Petrov and Michael Moles in the town telling all my pals I was buzzing because I think that's when... I never... Sorry, I was going to say, I never saw any... I ever saw any players um, out with the confines or the context of Celtic Park or Barrafield. So mm-hmm. to me, to me, there were these sort of these characters I don't know as if they were they weren't real it's like they were fictional and they only I felt as if after training they get put back in a box and they get kept in the, like somewhere at Celtic Park uh, I, I saw a random one I saw I used to maybe Saturday league team and we'd play at St Morris's High School in, in Cumbernauld and we met Darius Adamchuk oh. uh, a very obscure reference I don't know if anybody you need to certain age to remember him ah uh, you will be uh, but I'd never seen him. I saw uh, I saw Hugo Ehiog actually in Brayhead when I was about 13 or something. But other than that, I never saw them see with the context of Celtic Park. So it just yeah. made them even more special because that was the only place that in my mind that they existed. They didn't have lives, they didn't have families. They were just these Celtic players and that was it. No, I, I, think I was probably in the same bracket as you when I was younger. They were these enigmas that you would never... And then when I seen they two, I was like, I've met it. I've seen my pals. Obviously, you see a lot of the pictures now. And as you say, they meet the players outside the stadium. They wait on them after the games and stuff. But mm-hmm. I never I never get a chance unless my they were playing Motherwell and my old boy was pals with Billy Davis and we got to go in the tunnel and that after oh, the game and see the players. But that was just like, 
in your element. You know, that was like, see, if I was older, I probably would have wet myself or something like that. But I think I just froze. <laughs> I think I just stood looking up to them as in, oh my God. And they felt about 10 feet tall when you seen players like that. It was just, woof, unbelievable stuff, man. But let's dive into your, your other heroes, because obviously you've, you've documented it quite a bit on your social media about your grandpa. Uh, and you took a wee trip recently. Um, what was that like for you going to Lisbon with your grandpa who had witnessed that? Aye, aye, it was incredible. Um, he's, he's my grandpa. I, I, I make no secret. He's my, my total hero. And just we've got a very good relationship. Um, had a, played a big part in bringing me up and he's always been there. And we've just always been very, very close. But aye, for years we spoke about how great it would be to both go to Lisbon and to sort of retrace the steps, so to speak, and to just go and go and have that experience. And uh, we were out for lunch, and again, they brought. I think he just brought it up, and it became more of a just a wee thing we would say. How good would that be? And then I was, I was like, why don't we just do it? So we booked it, and we were away. But I think we were away about a month later, and it was just incredible from start to finish. We. Uh, I, we flew from Edinburgh to Lisbon. We were there for about four days. Um, and the, just a constant conversation. So we watched like Celtic DVDs on the plane mm-hmm. and just spoke about it. And I was just asking him loads of stuff and what his memories were. And uh, it, was, it was incredible. It was a very special thing um, to be able to do that. And we're actually talking about doing it again because we were due to go. I asked him if he wanted to go somewhere else. So we said we'd go to Malaga for a few days and just uh-huh. chill in the sun. And it got cancelled because of the, obviously because of lockdown and stuff. So we've got these vouchers for flights and he's like, why don't we just go back to Lisbon? And I'm saying, all right, okay, well, once once it's safety, then then we'll go. And uh, it was amazing. I think everybody can relate. We've all got family members that were very close to our people that have influenced us in our lives. And I, uh, I suppose he's, I'm very fortunate to have other people in my family like that, but he's, I, we've got, we've got a very good relationship. We're, uh, we're very, very similar, same sense of humour, and I just like to have a laugh, so good company for when we both go away. Was he, um, was he there originally? Did he go in 67? No, he was too young. He was too young? He, he was too young, um, but he remembers watching it on TV, and his, me- his memory's frightening, like his memory's ridiculous, like he'll give you the most mentally wee details of what he remembers, uh, and he went to Celtic Park, I'm sure. No, no, I'm not sure. I know he went to Celtic Park um, for the day after, so the 26th of May, 1967, when they did the victory, the victory lap with the with the trophies and stuff. And uh, he's followed Celtic home and away for a lot of years as well. So it's a, it's a nice thing for us to have, and it's all we ever talk about. Like it's literally all we talk about, um, and uh, we both both enjoy it. I'm I'm lucky to have it. No, as it's I think. You, you're saying about your granddad there, I've got a special relationship with my dad when it comes to football. He used to take me all the time, used to, in fact, still helps me a lot with the coaching side of it as well. Um, and we've been everywhere um, to watch Rangers and even other teams. We've travelled down south to watch Blackburn and, and Bolton mm-hmm. and Chelsea and stuff like that. And it was, it's one of them things when we get together and, and it's a bit of a family thing. You see, you see the two of us just wandering away and sitting ourselves. People, but ah, oh, here they go again. Oh, they're going to talk about football, and they've only spoke to each other on the motor coming here, and and it is. It's one of them, and even my granddad, as you say, he's a uh, he was in Barcelona in '72, and speaking to him about his razor sharp when you talk to him about the football, like he talks about the juniors and all that, or anything to do with football, he's razor sharp, and 
he's getting he's getting a lot older now. Um, but the time, the time for me when it came to the, the razor sharpness, I had a problem with my kidneys a few years back, and I ended up in the war with the uh, the war the ward with the cancer patients, and they had the catheters in and stuff. So I was sitting there, and they said, "Well, no get space. We'll put you in there." Uh, but I went in straight for work in the morning, so I had my, my coaching gear on and. They started talking about it about football and see by the end of the day, four or five days, man, they're like, right, you're ready to go up the road. I'm like, no, you're all right, I'll just stay here. <laughs> see, see the amount of stories they were telling about the Celtic 67 team and, and stuff like that and the old Scotland teams. And I'm like, I just want more. Give me all, give me every bit of information you've got. Aye, it's, it's especially interesting when you've got a, a like a basic knowledge but to, mm-hmm. of, of a time period, but then to hear people who were there and to share their experiences of it is incredible. Aye, it's it's special, man. It's it's absolutely special. You were talking about your your playing days there. Let's jump into them. What, what was your first experience of that? Having a kick of a ball when you were younger. Uh, oh, I'm trying to think. I suppose as well, my wee pal who who when his dad was explaining to us that Scotland were playing Czechoslovakia, and I think I I had basically had a very basic understanding of the concept of football that there's teams and there's clubs. So then when this new notion that also countries have got teams was floated to me, and I remember kind of thinking, wait a minute, that doesn't really make sense. Uh, I would play with him and I was just doing a wee sort of grass bit around the back. And then I suppose there had always been an interest, but as a wee guy, I suppose if you're not put into, um, I don't know, like a, a structured environment, you're kind of just running about, you don't really know what you're doing. But I suppose the same as anybody get to school, uh, play football at school and then joined a wee team when I was up back up in Glasgow called Rob Royston Rovers, yeah, um, which I, I absolutely loved. And then went on to a couple of pro youth clubs um, with a few of my pals, like Richard Fermlin, Motherwell, and Partick this one, and it kind of tails off a wee bit. But I, I loved it. It was it was my very much my favourite thing to do. It was all I would do with, with my time, you know, playing at school, coming for school, but straight out after dinner or before dinner, playing with your pals till it's dark and away training and away to wee tournaments and all that. I absolutely loved it. And uh, actually, I wish, I suppose being busy has stopped it, but I, I'm mm. going to make sure I'm back back playing fives or sevens or even elevens as much as possible once lockdown's over. Because I think once you don't have the option, you re- then realise how much you miss it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Maybe before, I'd be like... Ah, right, sorry, well, I'm back and get a game next week or the week after or whatever. It, it doesn't matter. I'd kind of say no to any opportunities to play in now. I'd, I'd bite your hand off. I've even been trying to talk my pal into bringing his ball up. To, <laughs> uh, I think some kid around, I'm like, mate, just bring the ball and we'll just be at a distance. We'll just knock it back and forward because I'm like, I just miss, I don't know, I miss feeling the ball at my feet. Aye, exactly what you're talking about there. That took me back to when I was younger and you used to chat with your mate's door and they wasn't allowed out, but you'd ask for his ball anyway. We just want the ball. He's grounded, right? Can we get his ball then? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right then. Shouting on him to fling it out the window at you and you can fit it out the window. Aye. Unreal. But no, as you do, miss a few for it. I've, uh, I've had a few injuries that I can't play anywhere I can do bits and bobs, but I do miss it. Mm. When, when you watch it, you miss it. And lockdown certainly makes you miss it as well. Um, what about your, your time in Barcelona? How did that come about? Because you, you, you kind of split your time between Glasgow and, and Barcelona, among other places. How how did the move to Barca come for you? It's somewhere that intrigues me. I've never been, so I'm about mm-hmm. to absolutely pepper you and pick your brain here. Ask me all the questions you want. I know the place so well. Basically, to, to keep the long story short, I was 22. I became a bit disillusioned with 
with life in Glasgow. And I actually tie it to the time that everybody I, that my age had started graduating for uni and they were going on to their next part of their life, something bigger, like a step up. And I hadn't gone to uni. I'd just been working. And I felt as if, oh, no, I'm going to be left behind when everybody takes this step onto something better. And just took a kind of both a panic, but also a real desire for something different and something exciting about adventure. I just Googled work abroad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I saw a, uh, a school in Spain. It didn't really specify where it said it could have been Catalonia, it could have been Valenciana, you could have been in a city, you could have been in the mountains, you could have been in the countryside. But I didn't care. I just thought, right, I really want it somewhere. So I sent an application. I sent an email saying, how do I apply? And they came back to me saying, well, well, applications are actually shut, so try again next year. And I just sent them back a really big, long email. Again, just to a real desperation and panic. Saying, oh, this is why you need to have me. This is why you need to hire me. Like, surely you've got something. And they came back to me and they said, oh, funnily enough, like, somebody's just pulled out. There is a waiting list of 120 people, but your email really stood out. Would you like to have an interview? had the interview and then that was it. A few weeks later I was over. It just happened in this total whirlwind. Um, and that was in September, well, October, September, October 2013. Uh, and uh, that's pretty much been, that was me uh, after that. Majority of my time there. I and you know, I've been in Glasgow for, for the last wee while and I love being back, but it's always going to be home as well. Um, mm. as, as soon as lockdown's over, apart from I've got a, f- a few places I need to go, but Barcelona certainly, certainly going to be one of them. That's the best one. I heard you talking with Graham Hunter about it, and you were talking about that sense of being home when you get there. When what's what's that like? I've I've only ever had that once. So, I well, it was really strange. I don't know. I just landed, and I don't know if it was because I felt the first time I ever landed there, I'd never been. I I knew very little about the city. I couldn't have told you what it looked like or what the vibe was like. I just. I had no idea, but as soon as I got off the plane, I just remember thinking, aye, this is it, this is where I'm meant to be. It was really, really weird. Uh, there was no part of me thinking, oh no, am I doing the right thing? Uh, and then I, I, I was, that was proven right. Just within days of just walking about the city, those first few days, I just thought, this is incredible. And the more you get to know it, I think the more you get to know the people uh, and, and the makeup of the city, it just resonated with me more and more. And uh, it's something I can't, I can't explain. Um, which isn't ideal when you're asking me to explain it, but <laughs> it's very much just a, a feeling that you just, I don't know, I just couldn't describe. I'm sure people have had it in various places. Sometimes people have it with people, they have it with things that they're doing. And for me, it was just, it was being there. And the more that I learned even about the history of the city, um, and, and when you just get the feel for it, there's no other place like it. I've been very fortunate to go to a, to a lot of cities, a lot of destinations in the world, and I've never had that feeling with, with anywhere else that I, that I have with Barcelona. Although likewise, I have it with Glasgow. I absolutely love mm-hmm. Glasgow's number one and it always will be. Um, but Barcelona is a very close second. What about London? I adore London. I suppose you would have heard me talking about that. <laughs> uh, do you know what I'm saying? Oh, that's, so London would be the close third then. Because mm-hmm. I, I really love London. And then New York would be my fourth. With London's a funny one. I just feel very at home. Uh, me and Graham are talking about it and he he understood what I meant but I was saying like the only way I can describe it is as if I've been here before mm-hmm. it's how I just don't get how you can have such an affection for somewhere that you've never been like just walking about it that first that first wee while I mean do you ever do you ever go down to London? 
I've just, me and my, my partner were there. Um, as soon as the season finished last year, we went to London. Um, we'd already booked Harry Potter World and stuff like that, but we ended up just doing the whole city. We were everywhere, and that's probably, I said one to you earlier, London was probably one I walked about and thought, I like it here. This is, my, this is a bit of me, and I don't know what it was. Same as you, I don't know what it was. I just felt at home. The hotel was an absolute shiter that we stayed in, let's be honest. It was a, Where did you stay? We stayed just in for Euston Station. Uh, okay. I can't remember the name of the hotel, but it converted an old Georgian townhouse. Right. So basically, if me and you were in it together, one is we needed a roly-poly on the ground to get past the other. That's how bad it was. Right, okay. right. One of them, you get the shoulders in, try to get in and out. And mm. went down to the boy, I said, it's going to be water's cold up there. And he's like, I need to wait till somebody else is finished in the shower. And I'm like, oh, oh fuck's sake. what's going on here, mate? So... But no, I loved London. I just felt at home. Even in the, the tube stations and that, I felt at home. I, I don't know if it's because I don't drive and I travel a lot on trains and underground and stuff, but it, it hurt me. Um, but I, I don't know what it was. I expected to go hating it and I, I absolutely loved it. Oh, I'm, I'm the same. I feel the history of London is just, it's it's mind-blowing. Mm. Um, and just the fact, I don't know. I, I would be I'd probably be a terrible travel writer or travel journalist because I wouldn't be able to express what it is I love about somewhere other than saying I don't know I just love it it's just there's always something to do although it, they've got very weird licensing laws because I would I would call London the capital city of the world but their pubs are shut at 11pm uh, can I get a drink after 10pm on a Sunday which is really weird if you want a night out on a Sunday like where are you supposed to go other than that um, I London's incredible, and it's it's just get everything. There's always something happening. There's always just this exciting buzz, and it, it makes Glasgow look like Emmerdale Village. It's just so Aye. so vast. It is. It's, it's it's a place you could easily get lost. I think when you were, and I'm, I'm I'm genuinely just I, I like the quiet life. Sometimes I've I've done the the busy life when I was younger. I'm saying I'm only thirty two, but sounds like I'm an old man there. But I I just like chilling now. And when I went to London, I was like, this is. She's top notch. She even just walking in and out and gone past like Harrods and stuff. I'd been there when I was a kid with my mum and dad and I couldn't remember it. Um, mm. But as soon as I got to Harrods, it was like, aye, I've, I've definitely been running about this. I could, I could remember everything. I could tell you everything. Aye. And everything. I felt what I thought was funny about the when I first, I first started going over, I mean, I go a lot now, but the first time I went as an, like an adult was I flew for Barcelona uh, for just for a few days. Um, I did do that. 2014, then again, about a year later, in 2015. The, the idea, if you'd said to me, Big Ben, or the Houses of Parliament, or the London Eye, or Trafalgar Square, or any of these iconic places, I'd be like, so? And I think that's because, for me anyway, I'd always see it in TV. In my mind, I'm like, it's just down the road. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not really that big a deal. But then when a certain person, you're like, wow, like you're really taken aback by it because it is so iconic and it's just right in front of you. Yeah. Um, it's so busy I mean there's, there's a reason that they get about 30 million visitors a year or whatever it is it's just an incredible place Aye, and every, I think everywhere you go it looks like something like a movie a movie set or, a, or a, a program or something doesn't it uh, it's quite similar to New York in the sense that most places they have you have seen them on TV uh, you have seen them in a film that's why New York's have you been to New York never no I went through it um, I've only ever been to Boston so New York, for me, New York's a, a funny one where you constantly feel as if you've been there or you constantly recognise it and it's because you've seen it in films so many times or you've you've seen pictures of it and it's it, it's a very weird experience. You know you've never been there, but you feel like you have. Uh, it's, it's never, I, I wanted to go when I was there, but I ran out of time and 
Mm. Spent a hell of a lot of time in Boston, so my affection lies in there um, just now. But my mum and dad went to New York for my mum's birthday there, and they were like, oh, it's huge, and they tried to walk everywhere and stuff like that, and I was like, Phew. I think we did. I made the mistake. Done that. Have you been to Paris before? No, I've never been to Paris, no. That was our first city break, me and my partner, first time we'd ever been away together. Uh, back 2013, probably same time you're talking, and we went to Paris. And again, the Eiffel Tower was the same for me. We could see it through our hotel window, and I'm thinking, nah, that was good, that. And then see when you actually got up on, like, close to it and underneath it, I was like, fucking hell. And I felt so taken aback by looking at it. Mm-hmm. And that was probably my, that and the Louvre Museum were probably my two favourite bits. But the second day, we thought, everything's got to be close to each other. We'll just do a walking tour. We don't need mm-hmm. the passes. And I, I got sunburnt and everything, mate. It was thunder lightning the day before, and I got sunburnt the next day. My oh, mother's feet were killing her. Eyes watered. <laughs> we just walked for miles and miles and everywhere we went, everywhere we could have went and we just done it walking. We might see if I had a step count back then, man. It would have been through the chart. I would on it. It would have been un- unreal, mate. But it was just, I never really enjoyed Paris and I think it was just because it was my first trip away and we were mm. novices at the whole thing and now we've been in a few. I've, I've got a brain that's kind of like a sat nav. Once I've been somewhere, I remember it mm-hmm. and it sticks and I know where to go and all that stuff and it's a uh, Paris was was a bit. Mm, I'm not selling it here. People from Paris, I do love you if anybody ever listens. But it's just <laughs> you need to sell me your city again. I need to know more about your city. Hi, I would like to. I'd like to go. It's it's, it's not been top of my list, but um, I suppose I'll go in the next wee while. I think because it, it's somewhere I've thought about. Uh, Berlin was one I really enjoyed because I'm uh, really interested in Nazi history and Cold War history. Mm. Um, but again, you would need. I feel like you would need weeks to see that. We were there for four days and barely scratched the surface. Yeah, we were the same. We were about two in Berlin, and we stayed in East Berlin as well. Which like, we never stayed in the best areas, man. But pe- people were lovely, but it just wasn't the best area. Mm, <laughs> I we we stayed out the road a bit too much for it. But um, let's talk about Barcelona then. What, what made you always go back? What was the thing pulling you back? Was it that home feeling, or was it was it just this? well? Well, I mean, I suppose I committed to living there for nine months mm. to begin with. And uh, that was just the direction that my life took. And I thought, I'm not leaving here until I've I've made something of myself. Mm. I felt as if I maybe had a wee bit of something to prove to myself. As I say, I hadn't gone to uni. I didn't have qualifications behind me. My work experience was, you know, I was 22. So I'm not going to have that much in the sense that I could argue I had a very strong CV. And I just thought, I don't know, I just wanted to go and make something. So it was tough. It wasn't easy at all times, but I would say 99% of the time it was amazing. I loved it. And obviously there was those challenges, but the challenges were, they were overridden by how enjoyable life was. And uh, I had my nine month working contract came to an end and it just, I had no intention of leaving. Uh, I found a job and then had a few other ones. I became self-employed, had a few cool things, like even just stuff like I got to play football in the new camp. Yeah, um, that was incredible. Or I did a there was a wee period where I was doing TV ads. Or like, sounds cunty as fuck, but there's there's no other way to say it. I was doing modelling for like catalogues and all that kind of thing, and that brought with it decent money and an enjoyable life experience as well. And uh, I and uh, I, I I came back for it. I came back to Glasgow because I get a. I got offered a Spanish-speaking job, strangely, and they offered to send me to America, but I had to be based at Brayhead. All right. And to, be, to begin with, I was a bit like, that's a fucking wind-up. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, 
because it was very difficult to get a Spanish-speaking job in Spain because they needed some proof that I had done it before because, yeah. I mean, speaking Spanish, I, speak, I do speak it completely fluently, but they were adamant that business Spanish is a different thing, which it is, um, and they needed to make, they basically needed some evidence that I could work in a business environment speaking completely in Spanish and, and I couldn't provide that. So that was the reason that I came back because it made sense to get that in the CV. Mm-hmm. Uh, I then got offered a job to go back to Barcelona again. Um, and it just, I suppose, to answer that question, I don't know, it just is home. It just always will be now. I think I've had to spend so many years there in my 20s. Um, it's obviously going to leave a big a big mark on you like the majority of my adult life has been spent in the city of Barcelona and I think that's always then going to leave its marks so whether it's one year five year or ten years I don't think my relationship with the city will, will will ever change and my association with it in terms of related to my life if that makes sense I, I feel like I'm just totally rambling but that's me just speaking quite instinctively no that, that listen that's what it's all about mate to be honest with you it's um what about the language side how did you did you pick it up quickly? And it's not an easy language to learn, to be honest with you. I've, I've been walking about the house with Duolingo plugged in my ears and the window cleaner looking at me as if what's he doing. <laughs> but, um, no, I, yeah, how did that up, come about? Picked it up really quickly. So the, part of my job contract was that I would work in this school. They'd pay X amount a month and you would live with a family. Or you'd live with three different families throughout the duration of your contract. They'll feed you. They give you somewhere to stay and what you're giving them in return is to help them to, to improve their English or to, to learn English or whatever or to be practicing it on a daily basis with a native speaker. Um, and we just came to the agreement that there would be periods where they would just help me learn Spanish. Mm-hmm. And the way that I learned it was just um, just listening. I didn't, I've never had any classes. I've never had, like studied it or looked at any textbooks or anything like that. Just yeah. come for, for listening. And the first three months I had a good wee level, but then after that, after three months, from my three months to six months, I, w- I would say I was pretty much fluent. And then the years after that that have gone by, um, I've just got better and better. I speak Catalan as well, and I speak mm. French and Italian, but my Spanish is my number one. Then I suppose I would say French and Italian and Catalan probably quite even with each other. Um, but it's just a case of being fortunate enough to be in an environment where it's been spoken all the time. So that's one part, but then the second part is you have to be actively trying to learn it because I've got pals that have been in the same situation as me and they can they can barely order a coffee. So I suppose there has to be a, like a, a willingness to, to learn it. And I just really went all out because I enjoyed it as much as well. So it didn't seem like a task, like it yeah. didn't seem laborious. It was fun and it's it's gone on to do wonders for me like to, to be able to speak those languages. Definitely open up so many doors for you as well in, in terms of, the world you were saying there about America worldwide is Spanish is spoken so many places well how did the French and the Italian come about then the French one was quite funny because when I first got there and in the school the only people who spoke English were the English teachers so if I wanted to communicate with anybody I couldn't because Mm -hmm. they didn't speak English and I didn't speak Spanish and somebody told me that the second language of Spain used to be French right so they were like we could try speaking French to people and I did I would just, I'd literally be like, tu parles français, and they'd go, oui, and I'd be like, all right, fuck, that's all I've got. But <laughs> what, what I then, I did have a wee, I had a wee bit for school, and a way that I could talk to people and say, I, I like going to the cinema and playing football with my friends, that was kind of the extent 
but it was better than nothing. Mm-hmm. And then what would happen is I would just pick wee bits up off of him. Um, and I would then go away and I think, right, okay, I can speak this basic French, so I'm going to try and learn a few phrases. So that was kind of how that went on. Mm-hmm. And then throughout the duration of my time there, I've just always had pals that have been from France or from Belgium. Uh, and I've just always asked them to speak it to me. And it's just been a continuous thing over like five, six years. Uh, in Italian, I went to Rome and I went to Milan and realized that I could understand everything that everybody was saying because it's so similar to Catalan, French and Spanish because all their Latin language, languages are just like a mix of each other. Mm-hmm. So I just actively started teaching myself it, um, listening to tapes by there's a guy called Michel Thomas, mm-hmm. doing a bit of Duolingo, just doing these things. And again, being fortunate enough to have Italian pals at work and then just asking that they speak to me. And Because I mean, I, I'm, I'm seeing this as if I've done it over six months. This has been over, you know, six and a half years mm-hmm. of just constantly, constantly trying to learn it. And people always ask me about learning languages and they say, oh, well, I feel it'll take ages. And it's like, well, the time is going to pass anyway. Like a baby doesn't learn the language in a few months and neither will a, a full-grown adult. It just has to be something that you commit yourself to. But the, the doors that it's open for me has been mental. And, uh, life wouldn't be the way it is if I didn't have them. No, it's, as it's the, the language one's interesting. I can remember speaking to Michael Beale, who's at Rangers just now, and he was talking about mm. when he went to Brazil. Um, and he always wanted to learn the language, but he says going there made them learn it. And that was what I was going to say to you. Do you you feel that rocketed for you when you got there? Because, as you say, as you got there and the teachers didn't speak English, so you had to pick up something else to get to to know them and speak to them. Aye, that's it. You've not got a choice. And it's like, yeah, either... I think when you... If, if you can't communicate with somebody in the environment that you're in, you're only getting, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15, 20% of the full experience of where you are. Um, if you can't speak to anybody, you're just a bystander, you're, you're an observer. But if you can speak the language even just a wee bit, then you're able to participate a lot more and things just open up for you a lot more. Um, I, and, and I would, for, for months or for about a month or two, I just sat in this staff room with all these people and I've not got a fucking clue what any of them are saying. They've not got a scooby what I'm saying, no matter how slowly I try and say it because we don't speak each other's language. It just opens up, opens up the world a lot more to you. But, um, I definitely been there, um, made it a lot easier. It, it, it gives you the impetus to go and do it, but also you learn it without realizing, because mm. you're constantly hearing it, constantly hearing it, and uh, you, you'll 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 remember words. You might not know what they mean, but you remember words, and when you do eventually find out what that word means, it will just stick in your brain forever. Mm. Like well, I, I remember walking about after a week. I'd been there a week or two and I was going, cacahuetes, cacahuetes. Why am I saying that? I'm like, I don't know what that noise is. It's just a word I keep hearing, cacahuetes. And I said to somebody, I went, what does cacahuetes mean? And they went, peanuts. I've, ah. never, forg- I've never forgotten it. Like, it's just, it's just never left my brain. Or like, just, just daffy stuff like that. So I, anybody looking to learn a language, if possible, just go and move to the country. Aye, <laughs> there for, for a year. They're saying that there, and I've got cacahuetes in my head, mate. And I'm thinking, wait, I've heard that. What does that mean? And then you've told me. So thank God you've told me. Um, you never forget it. It's a great analogy, mate. Using kids there as well. They don't learn to speak. That's we girl. She's came on leaps and bounds every time we're together, whether it's in holiday or whether it's her Christmas or lockdown. You can hear mm-hmm. her. She's having full conversations, and now she thinks she's some pop star singing when she's at a dinner. And I'm like, where are you learning this, man? What's going on? Like, uh, it's just... Everything's moving so quickly, and she's picking it up and. As you say, you think it's happened quickly, but really, it's been a two-year period where she's been working up to. Aye, aye, just taking it in. 
I like yeah, that. There's, there's no shortcuts to, to learning a full language. If it takes a native person all that time, you're not going to do it in the space of a month. No, definitely not. We had a, a French girl, uh, Florence, who came in with last season um, when I was at Glasgow City and she couldn't really speak English. She could say okay and stuff like that. But um, I was just like, you, yeah, I knew a bit of French um, for school and me bit in college as well and being able to speak to her a wee bit. Um, even though I made an ass of myself in Paris and told the guy in French that I did they speak French and he just kind of stood <laughs> and looked at me and he was like <laughs> looking at my missus and she's like I don't know what he said I don't speak French I speak German <laughs> I don't know what he said and it was it was a weird situation mate but that's the fun you get out of it sometimes um, but it helped it helped with her and I, ho- I would like to have thought that she felt at home for the three four months that she was with us mm. albeit my French was totally fluent you know but I tried my best to put the other players ripped the piss at me they, they gave me thinking when she went there, but man, just saying, listen, by the way, you don't sound real when you're saying that. And I'm like, oh, fuck off, give me a break. Do you know what I mean? That's, a Scottish, that's a Scottish thing, isn't it? You're trying your best. Uh, you're trying and you just don't get anywhere. What, what was it like in Barcelona? Did you get to go to many games? I know you played at the camp now, but did you get to get to many games? I did, I I was really, really, really fortunate. So there was a guy that I worked with and uh, in my first week, he was like, oh, do you want to come to the new camp with me? I've got tickets. And we turned up and it quickly transpired that we were in a private box that's uh, reserved for ex-players because his uncle was a goalkeeper for uh, for Barca in the 80s. Mm. And they still get looked after. So private box, free bar, um, where they serve alcohol because they don't serve alcohol in the stands anymore. Mm. Uh, they, scra- they scrapped that just as I arrived. I was absolutely gutted. <laughs> uh, but I would go to get the first game I went to was, uh, it would have been October. 2013, and they played Real Valladolid and beat them 4-1. Uh, and I enjoyed it. It's a very different experience. It's actually taken me years to realise that they just consume and watch football in a far different way uh, than we do. The fan culture's very different. They go to watch. They don't really go to sing or to cheer. And there's a couple of times I've been told, like, shh, be quiet, because I've shouted for a penalty or something. And uh-huh. to be honest, I would actually, I, I always say, I was like, I hate Barca fans, I hate them. But I had to realise that there was just a very big difference in fan culture and, and in society in general over there. Uh, but did get a, quite a lot of games and was always really lucky. Uh, we we make like making contacts. We would then sort us out with good tickets, like we get t- tickets to the director's box for a game in the Copa del Rey, January twenty sixteen against Real Betis and stuff. And I um, it's very good seeing Celtic lose thirteen goals in two fixtures there as well. That's that's right. some laugh because we could beat six one, <laughs> six one, and then and then seven nil <laughs> about three years later. Um, I but good. I actually went to a couple of Espanol games as well because mm. I was in a TV advert for them. I seen that one with a mohawk. You had a mohawk, didn't you? The mohawk, no. Your hair's all. I'm saying mohawk. I've got Lego hair, mate, so I can't really do much with it. Your hair was all sticking up with a strip on in the stand, and that. Aye, aye, there was that. So that that was good, and we had a, a decent relationship with him in the sense we could get tickets and stuff, and then eventually just get a wee bit bored of it. Um, but that was quite good fun. Their stadium's incredible. Funny story, actually, we went to it was Espanol, I think, against Granada, and uh, they sang "You'll Never Walk Alone." I'm sure, I'm sure they sang "You'll Never Walk Alone." And I thought, all right, that's funny. Then they unfurled a, a Union Jack that said Rangers, Espanol, Millwall. So I was like, what the fuck? I was like, where do, where do these people stand? And then when they scored, they played Zombie Nation. And I was like, this is 
weird this is like if you just if you're wind up uh, um i suppose espanol are the rangers of of barcelona as they've, they've unfurled that flag uh-huh. um by their, their their stadiums are absolutely excellent it's on the outskirts of the city and i got to see quite a quite a bit of football um i would i like to uh, went to more games than i did i think you probably take it for granted as well you're like ah it's a new camp it'll always be there um and then when, when i'm not there and when i see some games that are going i'm like oh, fuck i wish i'd made i wish i'd made more of that but um no obviously a great place to 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 be going to watch football some of the best players on the planet seeing messi in in, in real life is is quite something he's uh even just the way he controls the ball, the way he touches it, to be seen, to see it in person, you actually realise because it's one thing to see it in TV, mm-hmm. but he's um, he's absolutely incredible. But that's, that's nothing new there. I'm hardly seeing it in groundbreaking. Ah, it's, it's when you you see him in person. I think at the, the time I seen him, we drew that niche with him at Ibrox, and it was disappointing. I don't mm-hmm. think I've ever said that about Messi again in my life. But was that 2007? Aye, very, very. Um, Anti-football, I think it was called now. I think it's Revolution League. That's what he, that's what he days, called but, it. Uh, anti-football, mate. Uh, Sasa Papac played magnificently well and kept him out. And then we get battled mm. off Leon the next time. But it's a different <laughs> story. But uh, no, it's, it's something that someday I love. Barcelona something I love as well. Anybody that's been there, anybody, I, I just want to pick their brains about it. I want to know about it. And hopefully I get to go. We've already said once lockdown's over. City break for me and my partner. We're thinking mm-hmm. about Barcelona, so you should uh, you should apply to go in and, and observe training. Aye, because it's something I've spoke to about somebody else as well, mate. That, that would be something different, man. It's quite it's quite incredible that they'll let the press in if you apply for accreditation, and you're most likely to get it. I didn't realise it was so straightforward to get in and go and watch it. Mm-hmm. Aye, does a does a few people said that, and I'm like I'm, I want to see everything, but it's a. Uh, it's something I've always enjoyed watching, especially the, that's why I enjoyed the podcast uh, with Graham so much. I um, mm. spoke to him quite a lot, and the, the, the two years were, were speaking about Barcelona, and I'm sitting there thinking, would you mind sitting there with a beer right now, just chilling and Best having place ever? Ah, uh, it's, it's somewhere I've always wanted to go, and a place we've never went, mate. We've, we've mm-hmm. done Berlin, Amsterdam, Prague, Paris. Uh, where else have we been? If you get Barcelona at the right time of year. And if you've got a few recommendations, obviously when you go, let me know and I'll make sure that you 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 get to see places and enjoy places that tourists wouldn't. And I even just referring to like places to eat and have a drink and all that because mm-hmm. there's tourist traps that you should just avoid. Like La Rambla, for example, right? Go up at once, see you've done it, and then never go back because it's Aye. just a it's a hovel and it's just no worth your time. Um there's so many places that people just wouldn't wouldn't they know of it or just hidden and tucked away and that's that's where the experience of the real city is i think i'd agree with you we um we stumbled in a few places in prague mate and it was the most wait there i've went dark what's happened here well, it's still out. Yeah. <laughs> i know it was like one of the, the things on the telly went to where they don't want to they know who it is yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, but i have I've seen that in prague as well mate and there's a couple of wee hidden places and they were brilliant let's jump into bleathered mate because i'm a fan i'm a big fan um I think I think the first time I listened was when you had James McGuire on. I knew James for a past life um, with music and stuff like that, and his story was very interesting. You seem to be able to get that connection with people, that human connection, and 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 get stories out of them, and and it's a real honesty and openness in it, mate. How did the idea come about? How how did you think I'm going to I'm going to get a podcast, and I'm, I'm this is what I'm going to do? 
Uh, I think it's a mix of factors. I mean, I've always consumed podcasts. It's probably the media that I consume most. Mm-hmm. I think that's just a f- comes down to one practicality because if I'm always on the move, but I want to be listening to something. But it is the one that I enjoy most, I think, because there's that, whether it's unregulated or it's unrestricted um, form of media. You know, it's just, I like listening to conversations. I like hearing about why people think the way they think and how their experiences have shaped them and so on. So I suppose there was that, that there was getting to a wee point where I was thinking, I would quite like to do it, not even a case of I could do this better or Mm. a case of I could do it in a different way. I just thought I would like to do that because I want to ask my questions because as often I'd listen to things and I'd find myself shouting, ask them Mm. something like he's giving you an opportunity to ask him. So I thought that would be quite good and I thought I know some people who I could speak to. And then I think the thing that tipped it over was a pal of mine, just randomly, in the, literally in the pub. And I know that's a pure cliche for how all ideas are born, but it was in the pub, sitting at the table, and he just said, oh, you should probably do a podcast. I think you'd be quite good. But I was quite dismissive of it. I don't know if it was just I thought, no, because I'll get a slag in, and I don't want to put myself out there. Um, but I thought, no, do you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I probably planned it for about a month, and then eventually just followed it through. And it just went through there, really. Um, and I, I was I had a conversation today, and I was saying that I do create it for me, and it's to satisfy my curiosity and what I want to know about people. And it just so happens that I then release it for other people to listen to. Mm-hmm. But whether I released it or whether I didn't release it, I would still get the same pleasure from it because I, I certainly don't make it for praise earning money off it is a nice bonus but that's not why it started it literally it's just because i'm really interested in and in, and in what people have got to say about certain things um and i think maybe that becomes apparent i don't know if people listen to it and also pick that up um there's no agenda i'm not you know regurgitating some pre-rehearsed bullshit rhetoric that i've memorized um i've heard a couple of things of people who've watched The Secret once or twice and uh, will then try and shoehorn it into any conversation or they will try and make it, they'll try and direct a conversation towards something. I don't think I would ever do that. It's um, I, The bottom line is, again, because I just keep rambling, I think this is my hungover brain still in action. Um, but there's no there's no coherence and there's no fluidity to what I'm trying to say. Um, I it just The idea came about that way and I've really enjoyed it and I suppose it is quite... Or it is what it is. It's um, you know, the conversation takes place, and then it just goes out as is. So that's just kind of what it was. I think people, I suppose people enjoy that. Definitely, I'm I'm big on the, the the story side. It, mate. I keep I've been saying it a lot about football recently. It's about the person. If you get a person right, get their story right, then everything else will fall into place on the pitch. But I think mm-hmm. it's the same for life as well. Um, and that, I think that's why I really enjoy it. How you, you've got this a diverse group of people you speak to um so general right fucking laugh out loud moments in it like <laughs> i went back to listen to chris mcqueer one who i really like and you're open and honest at the start this is the first time i'm doing it blah 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 and then you said something and i nearly fucking spat my tea over the computer it was that funny mate i nearly spat i'm not just <laughs> you just know the reason that this podcast is i like to get people on who interest me and who I want to speak to and hear their story, but it was a genuine couple. There's a few laugh out loud moments where I've thought, fuck, I nearly ruined that computer there. 
So I've started no drink <laughs> while I'm <laughs> I've got no drink and a hang on the mate. Glad to hear that. How how do you go about picking the guests in that for that? How do you go um, about, um I suppose it's a wee mix. Sometimes guests will make their way to me, sometimes I'll kinda cross paths with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um and the two of us will kinda think, all right, we should we should do something here. Uh, sometimes I'll just get in touch with people kinda off, out of the blue. Uh, and other times they're kind of were introduced as used to should do something. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there is any particular formula, to be honest. That's probably how I'm struggling to answer that in quite a definitive way. Um, the, just the criteria for me is that I'm interested in, in uh, their perspective or, or, or their story. I like telling stories or just leading people along to, to get them to share their experiences. Like I spoke to a guy the day. Uh, so be out maybe this week or next, and we kind of randomly became known to each other. And he has got a very, a very good relationship with the North with North Korea. Mm-hmm. He's a twenty nine year old guy from London. He's a journalist and like a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes to he goes to parties at the North Korean embassy in London. They fly him over to you know to do these things. He's he's mm-hmm. done stuff with people for Al Qaeda for you know warlords in Liberia, and that's all I need. That's just an incredible story. So yeah, for that conversation, he probably spoke for ninety five percent of the time, and for five percent, it was just me moving it along and right, saying, right, tell us about this, tell us about that, mm-hmm. um, and that's all. That's all I need to to have that interest in somebody, and if somebody can speak well, because that's also half the battle in it. The you know, it's one thing to have a good story, but if you can't tell it in a way that's that's going to be um, concise and succinct enough that, you know, just get on and on and on, but in a way that you can also give some detail as well. So, aye. Is it, it's finding them natural storytellers that can can join you in storytelling as well, really, isn't it? Because that's aye, what... Exactly. It, you're right, it is. It's, that's what, it's a story. You're, you're telling a story and... Have you ever had anybody on that you've thought, oh, come on, I need to keep digging here. I need to keep oh prodding buttons and stuff like that. Don't want to name I, names. But. No, I won't name any names, but there's been a few. Well, there's been quite a few that have just never made it to, they've mm-hmm. just never gone out because it's, it's, it's no worked. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's no, I wouldn't see any fault of anybody. You're like, sometimes it just doesn't work and shouldn't put anything out just for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I've come away from a conversation thinking, I didn't get what I was after there, or that story wasn't told. Then it's no going out because if I've not enjoyed it, I don't expect anybody else to to then enjoy it. Um, which has been a shame because there's been a few ones that had great potential, but they just in the end they just didn't turn out the way they should have. So they didn't see the light of day. But I'm sure that's the same way with most people that are creating stuff. Some things you just think it, it didn't work. So like if you're creating an actual physical product. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it just doesn't come out the way it was supposed to, so you can't then sell it. No, definitely. Does um, I was interested in that part there because everybody always thinks with podcasting it's done, that's it, it's it. But they don't see the wee niggly bits behind the scenes. They don't see the ones that never made it or the the wee bits that you've took out of conversations. Maybe I mean, there's a lot in the early days, especially with Graham when I only spoke about how he and it hurt me when you were talking about about the, the people coming up to him and yourself talking about the mental health side of it and I'd said to him, listen, this is this has helped me massively. Uh, I met him mm-hmm. in Glasgow and we had a good chat over it. Uh, and then we met up again and, and, and spoke and I said you've helped me so much and we still keep in touch to this day, just talking back and forth about it. But it's um 
it's, it's one of them situations where you can help people, but it's that they wee bits that people don't see. They don't they don't get to see that. And as you say, you're not doing it for praise, but you're knowing that you, you could be helping that one person. Aye, aye there is a, there's, there's definitely a responsibility there. Um, there is a lot of work that aye, people don't see because you do need to take things out. Sometimes there's things that people could say where you know it's going to reflect really badly on them mm-hmm. and you have to do them that wee favour. I think that's another thing in terms of having a responsibility and making a judgement. Um, what is the wider impact of this going to be? Whether it's one wee snippet somebody said or an entire interview. Mm-hmm. I had one where it was a guy guy would have ruined himself <laughs> and I, kept, I tried I tried my best I really tried my best and I was like right I can I can cut the line here I can cut that mm-hmm. and ask the question again and they would just keep coming back to stuff and saying things and I was like I, I, good numbers for me because people would have listened to it but mm-hmm. can I do that to somebody nah it's hard and I've even had the situation where some people say listen I'm going to take that wee bit out going to take that out aye that's very common occurrence isn't it no problem, and you, you don't mind it, do you? I think people think you're going to take the half. Uh, uh, no, I think as long as it doesn't impact the, the authenticity of the conversation, mm-hmm. or if it doesn't just completely change the context. But if it's one we throw away comment, I've had people say, just as a joke, something that would probably in today's climate would just would, wouldn't go down the right way. So if, if they say, I would already take it out, but if they would say, mm-hmm. well, would you get rid of that? I'm like, aye, I, I, think, I think that's best. Unless you want the, the internet mob at your, your door. <laughs> Chat my door, hunt you down in every area they can, man. <laughs> Jump in a wee bit of trivia, mate, because I know you're, you're, you're a busy man. Um, many conversations for yourself to be had, but what's your, um, what have you been watching during lockdown? What's your, your go-to box set? Or movie, or documentary, or whatever? Have you watched uh, Have you watched Normal People? No, my missus watched it and said to me, it's not for you. Oh really? I uh, 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 I absolutely loved it. It was incredible. Um, I've not finished it because it was so real. Nor- uh, normal people for anybody who's not seen it is a book by I think a woman called Sally Rooney. I've probably got that wrong. And it's no, about, you're on uh, is it Sally Rooney? Sally and, Rooney. Um, it's about a young boy in County Sligo in Ireland, and he's very popular, and he starts basically starts up a relationship with this girl who isn't very popular and they keep it a secret and then they they leave school and then they drift they're apart and then they cross paths again in Dublin. And it was absolutely amazing. I fucking loved it. Um and it watch it mate that review's got me I need to watch it. Very good that I love it. It's very nothing happens but everything happens if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um I'm back into watching Gamora. Have you bitch ever watched Gamora? Good show, I like that. Greatest I've ever seen. And I, I tell everybody this story. Back in 2014, I left my flat in Barcelona. Because Series 1, half it's set in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. And uh, I left my flat just to go to the shop and I get diverted because something was being filmed and it looked like quite a big production. I'm like, what's that? Could they work out? I had no idea. A year later, I'm watching Gamora and I'm like, no way, that's that scene that I saw being filmed. So they literally filmed it in my street. Uh, I back to Gamora, probably... I think that's probably the greatest TV show that's ever been made, to be honest. I enjoyed that one. And to do with the mob, mate, I'm, I'm in. Aye, the fact that the majority of it is, is all written based on a true story. Mm-hmm. You should watch it. Uh, there's a, a documentary on Netflix about Roberto Saviano, the guy who, who basically wrote the, the original book and the original film. Ah, right, okay. It's, it's explaining how he infiltrated the Camara crime clan in, uh, in Naples. And then wrote his book, and then after that, he's a marked man, and he's protected by Interpol. 
because the mafia are so heavily infiltrated into the Italian government, army and police that it has to be like a, a very independent higher uh, security body that looks after him. He's not stayed in the same, he's not slept in the same place two nights in a row since like 2006 or something like that. Just the guy's, the guy's life is mental and it's, uh, that, that's worth watching. But I suppose that podcast though, I've been listening to more podcasting. The thing I've been doing most is cycling. Uh, I've seen that. I've seen you. Mate, it's just about. I'll tell you just quickly because I think some of these podcasts will be worth a listen. So Conflicted is one and it is an ex-monk, an ex-Christian monk and a guy, another, his name's Thomas Small and another guy called Eamon Dean. So Eamon Dean was born in Saudi Arabia and at the age of 16 he joined Al-Qaeda and he was a chemical bomb maker for Al-Qaeda he reported directly to Osama bin Laden. He was involved in a number of attacks. He um, fought on the ground in Bosnia, the Philippines. He fought in four different continents for Al-Qaeda. And then he was compromised. And MI6 got a hold of him and basically said, right, you can either, you'll be going to prison in Britain for the next 25 years, or you can join MI6 and help us to stop Al-Qaeda. So he says, all right, I'll join MI6. So he was involved in that for however many years, thwarted all sorts of attacks. And then Dick Cheney outed him in an interview. Kind of unwittingly, but Dick Cheney's a fucking idiot. So he had to retire. And then he was a wanted man by Al-Qaeda. Uh, and then he's worked in, he works for big banks like Lehman Brothers and Citibank, Barclays and all that, HSBC, and preventing uh, money laundering through terrorism. And basically this podcast called Conflicted explains... So the first series explains how the Middle East is the way it is mm-hmm. and, and how politics are the way it is and why all these wars are happening. And then the second series, they talk about Russia, China, climate crisis, Wall Street, uh, 9-11, and how all these things are all perfectly tied into each other. It sounds like a bit, it sounds a bit heavy, maybe a bit boring, but oh, man. It's, it's very funny. Like The two of them are really funny guys and they unpack it all very easily for you to understand. I've now listened to it for my third time because... You listen to it and you're kind of trying to make sense of what you've just heard. And then you're like, wait a minute, I need to go back and listen to that again. And then you'll understand it a lot better because you're hearing it for the second time. Uh, Conflicted, I kind of recommend it highly enough. It's up for the best independent podcast uh, of 2020. So it's... Uh, it's Get probably, up and bash, mate. I would definitely listen to that. But other than that, just dipping in and out of stuff. I suppose, what about you? Have you got any recommendations? Last programme I watched, mate, was about um, Epstein. The Epstein... Yeah, stuff like that. that's pretty I sat the whole time thinking how the fuck <laughs> I know that, that's, how I, that's how I can't watch stuff like that because I'll just end up angry or depressed about it aye so angry so depressed so confused by mm. everything that happened and you're seeing what's happening in the world today and you're, you're getting angry confused and depressed with what's happening in America right now and you're thinking what is what's going on like Aye, it's, a, it's striking a fine balance between being aware of what's happening and being socially conscious and being socially active or mobile and how you're helping to to combat it, but also taking a wee bit of time out of it as well because it can become information and sensory overload. Aye, that's, that's, um, that's what I need to do. I need to just switch off for the world now and say... I don't have, I've not watched the news really for a long time because it's... I don't, I don't watch it. I don't watch it, mate. 
the important information will make its way to you and you can obviously go and research and, and have a look. But I think watching just general news every day is it's, it's a complete bombardment of negativity. And uh, I'm not, again, I'm not saying do not be conscious of what's going on in the world, but I suppose you have to regulate how much you're taking in. News used to be breakfast, lunch and dinner. You get your mm-hmm. bulletins, but now it's 24-7. I've got a dedicated it's, channel. Aye, it's, ba- it's bad for your brain, I think. It's scary, mate. That, that was the same when this COVID stuff kicked off as well and I kept saying my partner, turn it off. Just turn it off. We can keep watching this in the news and what's happening, what will happen will mm-hmm. happen. Turn it exactly. off. Listen to the big update and that's it. But uh, in terms of anything, I can't really think of anything else I've been watching, mate. The A-word, have you ever seen the A-word? It's about no, a it's... lad who's got autism. Uh, and his right, fam- no. family don't know, so they think he's... Um, misbehaving and stuff like that set in England and he's uh, he loves his music he's always got the tunes on and goes for walks and that's his, his main go-to um, but mm. he, the, the A-word's been I fell out of love with back into it the other night and I'm thinking this is great I love this um, what else have I been watching I'll give that a try a few documentaries I've been watching mate in terms of just sports just I watched one on Ayrton Senna the other night you seen that one no but I, I'm by, aware of it aye Again, that seems like there's another conspiracy in the world when you watch that one. You think that's really? Ah, it's not right. It's not right. I wasn't happy. So I've been watching a lot of sports documentaries, um, podcasting, fluffing you up here, mate. Blethered. I've been listening to a lot of yourself. Um, I've been listening to Giant by Monday Owl. You ever right. do you that one? No. That, that's like serious with Spotify. Um, Monday Owl are an independent um, football magazine. Aye, aye. Aye, but they um they've got one called Giant that's that takes you back to different stories, so it's like a mini documentary they kind of produce. Right, okay. And they've got one. I'm gonna check back. that. That's good, mate. They go back. The one I enjoyed was Keenan Vieira, Man U Arsenal back then. Oh, nice. So they've got Keenan Vieira, the start of the women's revolution, the World Cup, MLS when it started. Don't know if you'll remember when all the MLS football kicked off and they used to do the penalties for halfway line and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, and they had to run and all that. <laughs> and that's like, what was it, a game couldn't finish nil-nil? Like there had to be a winner? They'd never finish nil-nil. First one they'd done, mate, was Ronaldo, the original, El Phenomeno, and that had me hooked. I loved watching Ronaldo as mm-hmm. a kid. So. But what what about your, what's your music, mate? I know we're crying out for a new Paolo Nettini album here, man. What's, well, yeah. there's uh, Paolo Nettini... I don't know if it's an album, but I know there's a there's a song or two, and I don't know when he'll drop it. But I, I haven't heard it myself, so this is me giving pure secondary information. But the people I know that have heard it, they said it was like Fleetwood Mac, oh. crossed with crossed with something else, and I can't remember the name of the band they said, but I'd never heard of them. But they said it's fucking amazing. Uh, so that's aye, so that's exciting. But uh, are you saying in terms of what music am I listening to? The what you got, mate? What's on the now? What's on the the jukebox? So if I just go into my music and I'll, I'll just be honest and say what was the last things that I've had on or that I've, be, that I've had saved. Um, my music taste is, it couldn't be, right, if I just, I'll get it through, right, I've got Aha, Abba, Alesso, um, Ant and Dick, we're on the boat. There's everything's in here, right? Like, you, you just have absolutely everything. But recently, Blossoms are a band I've been listening to. Have you heard them? Good day. Aye, they're class, man. I absolutely love them. And again, I can't. I can't believe it took me. Um, it took me so long to sort of get onto them. Uh, Blossoms. I'm obsessed with that. Have you seen that Icelandic Eurovision song? Yes, I think about things, mate. Can I get enough of it? Can I, I get enough of it? I've even the dance moves with my wee girl, mate. Honestly, I, <laughs> I've been trying, but I'm absolutely terrible. 
Aye, so my mate, I get blown out the water by her, my missus every time. Uh, another one, the Lafontaines. I've been aware of them for quite a while, but quite recently been listening to them more and more. Um, absolutely, lo- like just love love the sound. So, aye, that's what I've been listening to. Well, that will change. Change it changes all the time, mate. I'm I'm the exact same as you. I've got um, who am I rocking? I have. I can't say his name, but think about things. Aye, the Icelandic one. I've got that. Aye. Um, lot of stuff for, for things that I've watched. I watched it actually. I'm, I'm talking nonsense, mate. Have you seen the film The Gentleman? Oh, uh, I'm going to Matthew watch that again. The, aye, oh. absolutely brilliant. Great soundtrack as well, mate. Guy Ritchie aye. always get good soundtracks. So I've been listening to a lot of Rolling Stones and stuff like that. Now you're going to Grant, but in that is the best. That's the best performance I've ever seen him put in. It's absolutely brilliant. Do you know what? I'm going to watch that tonight. If I, I was looking for something to watch, if you've helped me out there. I think I might need to jump back into it the night, mate. But I've been listening to a lot of old school stuff. Otis Red and that with a wee and um, Jungle Book stuff like that, mate. I'm getting right into Disney movies and the the mm-hmm. tunes in them and they're incredible, mate. And I, I'll forever be blue the bear to the wee and you know what I mean, mate. <laughs> what's your food, mate? What's your go-to food? Uh, if we're talking like sort of junk food, it's got to be a Chinese. Oh yes. Um, but through through the week, I'm just usually quite boring. It'll be chicken breast, rice, vegetables, or a variation. It'll maybe be steak or something. Um, very boring. I just like to stick to what I know I'm, as my calories I'm supposed to be getting. Because that, that kind of coincides with the gym. But the gym has been mm-hmm. shut, obviously. I've got weights. They've not really been used as much as they should have. So I've actually been eating terribly. I had a McDonald's for the first time yesterday. Oh, how'd that go then? I've, I've not had one yet. It was brilliant. Nine pounds, <laughs> though, for a, a chicken sandwich meal and... Uh, and chicken nuggets and it came to £9.12 and I was like, what the fuck? When? <laughs> so I don't know if, when did I don't that know. happen, man? I know. I, maybe they're just charging more because of lockdown. But yeah. uh, to be honest, it hit the spot. It, That's good. It, I, would, I would happily go and get another one, but I'm going to, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll resist. Because if I just, if I start now, I'll just get one every single day. Nah, don't do it to yourself, mate. Trust me. My, I'm oh. asking Verge for that right now, man. I'm actually <laughs> happy. Lo- I say this to my missus, I'm happy lockdown came. Because see, before training, we were nipping to McDonald's because it's on route to the, the ground. It was nipping McDonald's. It'll get a wee coffee and then you're thinking, I'll get a wee wrap or a burger or something. And then Miles was shaking for a week, man, honestly. That's yeah. what I say. I say, I'll go in for a coffee. Then I'm like, okay, I'll get a half a meal. And I think, well, what's the point? Just get a full meal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same, mate. I'm not as athletically built like you, mate, but I'm the exact same <laughs> when it comes to that. But no, I'm, I'm with you, mate. I love a Chinese. Uh, don't really like chippies but I got one on Saturday night and it was tremendous I don't know if mm. it was a lockdown tremendous or if it was tremendous no, I like um, a chippy as well chippy was good mate but um, in terms of that mate what, what's your movies what, what other movies have you been dipping into apart from The Gentleman of course but Hugh Grant is outstanding in it let's be honest uh, it's incredible uh, I actually can't think I'm trying to think what have I watched recently What's been out in the something? I feel like something was in the pictures that I went to see, and it was absolutely brilliant. I can't remember what it was now, so that's the great answer to this question, isn't it? I've not been to pictures uh, in a long time, mate. I mean, I'm actually really struggling. 1917 was excellent. I was saw, that in, the, saw that in the IMAX. Um, that was really good. That was really impressive. And also, I honestly can't even remember now, which is, again, a pointless answer to this question. With films, I, I love watching films, but I think sometimes if I'm working loads or if my mind is constantly engaged, then I just want to watch Still Game. Like I want to... Oh, yes. 
just had, like, I mean, still game's the ultimate for me. As like, I'm, I'm, I'm pure rain man with my knowledge and of of the show and all that. But something I can watch that I don't need to concentrate on. Because if, if if your mind is constantly being engaged, the thing you want to be doing is really concentrating on some film and what's going on. Nah, definitely. Still games up there, mate. That's that's the ultimate, isn't it? Ah, uh, it's the number one. It's still game to me is just like music. I can I can have it over and over and over, and I won't get bored it, and I'll just enjoy it the same. And I don't know fully why that is, but it's uh, it's the number one. I think it's because it's ours, and it's it's ours. It's, so, it's a Scottish thing. It's a it's a local thing for us. Mm, aye, it's literally around the corner almost. So aye. that's that's probably where that where that comes to. But um, aye, films start I, I, for somebody who who does watch films a lot I've not watched anything really recently that I can think about I'll definitely be watching The Gentleman tonight great film man we need to advocate it we hope for Guy Ritchie cuts his in on that one mate we've had Joe <laughs> Grant gives us a wee shout out or something you know so <laughs> nah, listen Sean mate thank you very much for coming on the podcast it's been an absolute pleasure nah, cheers mate thanks for having me Peace.